I will say, reading the book, the Beastie Boys book. Mm-hmm. Now, I lived in New York for a few years, and I'm glad I moved out. Glad I moved out. Me too. It's not for everybody. Mm-mm. But, like, reading some of it sometimes makes me a little nostalgic. I'm like, oh, I do kind of miss summer in the city. You know, like, there's there's always something going on, and everybody's out, and, like, the kids are having fun, and people are having barbecues, and the stench of urine is just unescapable. And I mean, you, you get you, really immune to it. But you know what? You get all of that here, where we live now, except you get to choose when and where you you smell the pee. Because if... <laughs> it depends on where in the... Albany area you go usually to smell urine. Usually if you're driving on 787 north between Albany and Troy, you get that nice pea smell, but as soon as you get to Troy, it's not there anymore. That's true. That's true. And if you're in like the Clifton Park Half Moon area, you get this weird poop smell. Oh. It's manure, but that's poop. And I'm going with it. Oh, that's fine. Because you guys are in the country, even though it's not well, country. I am no longer there. You are no longer there. Thankfully. <laughs> but y'all like to call that country. Yeah. It's not country. It's not the country. It's not the fucking no, country. No, not the country. Get to me when you're about 35 minutes from a major highway. And then we'll talk. Then we'll talk. Talk to me when you're like world deep in Mechanicville. Mechanicville is not country. It's scary. It's scary, but it's not country. <laughs> Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. Local conversations about local areas that you don't know. Yeah. That's what you're here for, right? Yeah. And finger guns. Finger guns. They finger can't guns. see the finger guns. Well, They're you, there. You did it. I'm always, They're there. I'm always doing it. We are your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats from the world of music with crazy stories and wacky tales and... Some totally unbelievable craziness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's that one. You won't believe what happens. <laughs> I mean, I don't. And I wrote the notes for this episode. <laughs> and I still don't believe what happens. Yeah. It, well, what happens is really hard to accept. Yeah. So. These, this, these were not. This was the hardest set of notes I think I've yeah. ever had to write. BC Boys Part 2 hits really close to home and I don't like it. Yeah, no. I mean, I think heads up at the top, guys. We, uh, this is a doozy of an episode. It does not have a good ending. And we're both already, like, two beers deep. I so. am not. I'm a half a beer deep. You are two beers deep, my dear. Two beers deep. I have been really good about that. But, I mean, I guess since you brought up the beer... Let's talk about it. Okay. Because this week, we're drinking Cookie Puss again. But. However, we are drinking Cookie Opus, which is the St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> even more limited edition of Cookie Puss from Camp- Captain Captain Lawrence Brewing. Yeah. It's so limited that we are still finding it in beer stores in <laughs> yeah. almost October. Honestly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've actually held on to this for quite some time because yeah. I thought we were going to do this episode way sooner. We didn't. So this has been in my fridge for a while, but you know what? It's so good. So good. This is... If you do come across this in your beer store, pick it up. It is really fucking good. It's a chocolate stout. And it's just... It's just really agreeable. It really just nestles right in there on your taste buds yeah. and it gives them a little hug. And today is also the first day of fall, so it's like... Mm, I thought stouts. Saturday was the first day of fall. Today today is the fall equinox. Today is a Monday. All right. Well, then. I don't it's, know shit about the almanac. But it's also the f- the last day of uh, Mabon? Mabon? 
which is the Wiccan celebration of the fall equinox. The second of three. So what you're saying is the stout is appropriate. It is appropriate, yes. I mean, stouts are always appropriate. Normal. Even though it's fucking 85 degrees outside right now, it is appropriate. It is. It is second summer in New York, so. We did it, guys. We finally we got made there. It, we made it to second summer. I'm really excited. Yeah. I mean, actually, no, I kind of am, though. I like second summer. Now I'm ready for first winter. Just skip right over fall. We don't. No, I love fall. I do too, but we don't get it anymore. It's second summer and then straight into fucking winter. Because welcome to New York. But also, I feel like last week we didn't even really talk about original Cookie Puss, which is like, it was fine. Oh, yeah, it was fine. We didn't but this really one's think better because we just... we're fucking done with IPAs. Oh. I'm so done with it. Was, and the, the IPAs, one we had. Stop. Stop. Just Love stop. Rock Candy Podcast. We're done with you. It's over. It's not you. It's not you. It's us. No. We're done. Officially. I've had it. And professionally. Officially? We've had it officially. We are done done professionally. professionally. Yes. (laughs) All of those things. Yes. But yeah, so I'm here for the stout. Here for this cookie o' puss. Honestly, Mm -hmm. though, you see it's a green can and it's got cookie puss's dumb face on it again. (laughs) So. Yeah. And just in case you don't know what we're talking about. You probably didn't listen to part one, so go listen to part one. What are you doing? Yeah. What's going on here? You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, guys. Wrong. Anyway, continue. None of this matters. Let's, none of this matters. Let's talk about BC Boys. I mean, we were talking about beer. Mm-hmm. Well, we slowly transitioned from beer to the actual topic of the night, which is of the Beastie Boys. Part to do. Part to do. So buckle up, buckers. Let's get into it. When we last left with the boys of Beastie... They had gotten back to their roots and started playing their own instruments again. They let their creativity be their guides when it came to making music in their own studio at G-Sun and released on their own label, Grand Royal. And as I had said at the end of the last episode, they were about to release their fourth album, which was not only going to shoot them into the realm of serious artists, but also earn them the respect of the rap and rock worlds. Mm-hmm. Side note... We can kind of blame the Beastie Boys for new metal. What? I mean, think about it. Yeah, because when if you new, look at when new metal first came Biscuit. out, it was called rap rock mm. because of Corn and Limp Biscuit, and specifically, I don't want to put this burden on the Beastie Boys for I do adore them. However, new metal is a hugely bastardized version. Oh, of what the Beastie Boys were oh, doing. Yup. But, yeah. They didn't, I mean, with great power, right? <laughs> right? Am I right, though? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> One of the biggest singles the Beasties ever had just began as a powerful bass line that MCA was playing around with. A really fucking iconic bass line. And very good. A quite iconic. Mike D got on his drums and played a double beat break to go along with it. Boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom. And once they threw... Can you just, like, do the whole <laughs> I fucking could. song? I could, like, but I'm not gonna. I'll just record you doing it and just make your acapella version of it. <laughs> once they threw in Ad-Rock with his sweet guitar riffs, everyone knew there was something great here. As enthusiastic as the crew was, there were no lyrics, and frankly, the bur- the boys weren't 100% sure what to do with it. See, they were afraid it might be a little too rock for them, 
And they were cautious not to fall down the rabbit hole to lead them back to that path. They had done so much to get away from it. Yeah. MCA suggested keeping it as an instrumental, then toyed with the idea of maybe sampling a Queen Latifah bit in it. Oh, what? Yeah, they wanted to take a Queen Latifah line and just kind of sample that throughout it. That's kind of awesome, though. It would have actually probably totally worked, That would have been fantastic. Yeah, 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 it would have. But they still weren't, like, 100% sold on it. It was finally Ad-Rock who came in to give the song its final mm, touch. That je ne sais quoi. That certain je ne sais quoi, a.k.a. screaming into a microphone. <laughs> he came up with the concept to yell about producer and engineer Mario C. <laughs> Mario was pretty frustrated with the Beasties to finish a damn song. Apparently, like, throughout the whole recording of this album, they would start so many songs and never finish them. And so Mario C was just over it. He's like, guys, just finish a just fucking song. finish a goddamn song. song. Exactly. Just something. Anything. He'd give him grief about it constantly. So Ad-Rock went to Mario's place one night, and he had the lyrics all in his head, <laughs> and then he put down the vocals about Mario trying to sabotage their work with his constant fuse blowing. That's hilarious. Right? Like it actual worked. like actual fuse blowing was he blowing like purposely blowing he fuses throw, in his he house. He threw a power strip out the window. That's hilarious. Yeah, cuz he was very mad. And now we all know Sabotage as the Beastie Boys classic that it is, especially because of its iconic video. Mhm. Directed by friend and budding video maker Spike Jones. The music video is an homage to the classic cop dramas of the 70s, a la Hawaii Five-0, The Streets of San Francisco, and Starsky and Hutch, and on and on. It's campy in the best kind of way. Oh, so good. So if you have never watched this video, it's which, all mustaches and aviators. Are you like, and like leisure suits? 13? How have you never seen this video? Yeah. Yeah, it is wonderful. Definitely just take a second. We'll wait. Did you watch it? Good, good, good. It was a popular video, too. It was nominated for five MTV Music Video Awards, but they didn't win a single one. So during... Hey, that's a sabotage. Somebody sabotaged that shit. Oh, that is... I'm telling y'all, it's sabotage. Listen to all y'all. It's a sabotage. (laughs) 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 Nope, we should never do the acapella version We're not going to do that ever again. We're not. Nope. Or are we? We're gonna just, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, just gonna do get it really drunk and do it. It's yeah. fine. Or we'll end up doing the song at karaoke, and we'll karaoke the bass line and the drums. You know, if you for you rock band players out there, for you kids who got real into rock band back in like the twenty oh eight to twenty mm-hmm. I don't know thirteen. When did we stop playing that? Yeah, you know the song. I can and at least every single person who ever played is like, no, no, I want to sing Sabotage. I want to sing Sabotage because it's the funnest song yeah. in that game. I can at least do the first verse. I can learn the rest of it. Oh, yeah. No, everybody can sing Sabotage. Yeah. And that you're just screaming it. And it's really fun. Yeah. Well, during Michael Stipe's acceptance speech for R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts, which beat out Sabotage, <laughs> by the way. like. What? Wait, wait for what? Video. Wait, in what I universe are they nominated for the same thing? I don't remember which genre it was. It was either like best concept or best rock video or something. Something. But they beat out Sabotage, which if you've seen Everybody It Hurts, it, really? It's just everybody in a traffic jam getting out of their car. And being really sad. Being really sad. You know what's better? Uh, Sabotage. The <laughs> having a fucking ball being cops in the 70s. Yeah. Way better. Yeah. Well- MCA rushed the stage as one of his sabotage characters from the music video, 
and protested their loss in every nomination. Did R.E.M. know that they were doing this? Oh, I don't know. I actually never looked up this clip. I didn't know if it was Aww. actually available. Sometimes, and sometimes MTV is really weird about the things they'll let be on the internet. But sometimes MTV is really cool, like when shit like this happens, and sometimes <laughs> they're, they're like, really oh, not look cool. Look at its ratings. Because you were talking about how delightfully campy it was. A funny little tidbit. After making the music video for Sabotage, the Beastie Boys just started wearing the wigs from the shoot on the regular just for shits and giggles. They would just show up <laughs> to things dressed in the mustaches and the wigs because they just thought it was so much fun to wear them. It is. It is. I don't blame They weren't them. wrong. They weren't wrong. They were not wrong. But that song is only one critically acclaimed moment on their 1994 release, Ill Communication. Mm-hmm. It debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 and peaked at number two on the R&B hip hop chart. Hip-hop chart. Hip-hop chart. It was praised for its versatility, every track sounding like it was contributed from a different group. Here, the Beastie Boys proved just how capable and creative they could be. Their popularity could no longer be denied, and that landed them a spot on the lineup for 1994's Lollapalooza tour. They initially expected to be supporting the headliner Nirvana, which they were quite excited for. They Um, loved Nirvana, really looked up to them. But... This is 94, correct? That April, plans had unexpectedly yeah. changed for reasons that we are all well aware of. Yes. Not and if you're that. if you're not, Kurt Cobain died. Yeah. In April, April 5th. 94. Yeah, 1994. 5th, yep. Yep. The lineup changes to the Beasties co-headlining with the up-and-coming Smashing Pumpkins. Up-and-coming. Yeah. Because so they weren't really big yet. They weren't. I think... I don't even think Melancholy and the, maybe Melancholy. And oh no 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 no! Out, or is that ninety six? Oh, that was like, yeah, between ninety six and ninety nine. It was that. It wasn't after ninety six because the door came out in like ninety eight, ninety nine, and that was a huge par- departure from what they were doing with. Yeah, then you know, that doesn't matter. It's the it's the smashing fucking pumpkins. It's Billy is, pumpkins. It's fine. It's Billy pumpkins. <laughs> oh, it's Billy pumpkins. It's so like demoralizing <laughs> like billy Fun pumpkins accurate. billy pumpkins oh you billy pumpkins oh baby billy pumpkins well this gave the bc boys a chance to have some st- some say in the events of the day and it was mca who suggested opening up Lollapalooza with chanting tibetan monks giving that year's festivities a complete hodgepodge feel so this was just because or was he starting to really get into the whole tibetan thing that they became known for well i guess that's how i'm gonna segue into mca becoming a buddhist (laughs) here we are mca was a buddhist his parents were really into traveling and showing their child other parts of the world outside of new york city Mm -hmm. so very cool on their part he always had this nomadic sense of life and this desire to experience other cultures he moved a lot he didn't own a lot of stuff and he really enjoyed traveling Mm mm-hmm One of these trips landed him in the Himalayas in Nepal, where he met exiled Tibetan monks who were protesting the Chinese rule over them. He was inspired by their nonviolent ways of protest and adapted to their practices. He also felt moved to help their cause in some way, considering how much popularity the Beastie Boys had. MCA wanted to use his voice to promote something good. He created the Milarepa Fund alongside activist Aaron Potts. The catalyst for this came after he wasn't able to find an organization that he felt was doing its best to raise awareness for the severity of the Tibetan's plight. Nobody was really doing that at that time because nobody really cared. Nobody cared. Not many people knew. It wasn't in the time. We did have constant news, but it was still a fledgling thing. But I 
remember this point in time, the only reason I knew that there was something going on in Tibet was because of the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Initially with Milarepa, and I might be butchering this, I think it's Milarepa, Milarepa, he used it as a way to donate proceeds made from the songs Shambhala and Bodhisattva Vow. Bodhisattva Vow. Yeah, I have a really hard time saying that one. <laughs> it was off, They're both off ill communication. Mm-hmm. Also, $1 off each ticket sold during the 95 tour went through the Milarepa to local charities. But that didn't go far enough for MCA. He wanted to do something on a more global scale. Mm-hmm. And... That's where the concept of the Tibetan Freedom Concert came into play. Mm-hmm. It started in 1996 in San Francisco and saw a vast array of artists, from Blues Traveler to A Tribe Called Quest to Bjork to Mighty Mighty Bostones to No Doubt to what... You, you get it. You get it. Oh, and of course, you too. Of co- Because of course. Because of course. Of course. They raised over $800,000 for the Tibetan Exile Organizations. That's kind of awesome. Right? For its first year in 90s yeah. money? Yeah, that's good. In 90s money. 90s money. It's like Monopoly money back then. Ba- basically. Yo, what's that like? Or is it like Monopoly money now? It's more like Monopoly money now. Yeah. It was real money back then. Monopoly money now. Basically all money is Monopoly money yeah. now. Yep. The concerts continued annually until 2003 and helped to grow the group Students for Free Tibet. The work MCA did for the Tibetans was essential to making it the worldwide phenomenon it became. If you remember the free Tibet bumper stickers from the oh, 90s. It's in my head yep, right now. Yep. You can thank MCA for that. I kind of wish they still made those because I would 100% buy one. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. to slap it on my car. Or a pin. Oh, I'd love a free Tibet pin. Right? Like original one. Do you think they sell them at like vinyl record stores? Maybe. They should. As they approached the late 90s, things were really changing for the Beastie Boys. They were getting married, having kids, growing up just a little bit. They were still creative as ever and hard at work to make a new album. They still lived in L.A., still worked at their G-Sun studios, but things didn't feel right. They missed their original stomping grounds in New York. It began with MCA moving to Manhattan, and it just became a domino effect. Before the release of their fifth studio album, Hello Nasty, the Beastie Boys were all back home in the NYC. That's kind of cute. Yeah. Well, Adam moved back, so I'm going to move back. Yeah, because they're all buds, and they're Aww, like, well, we should cute. all live in the same town. At least. Right? Yeah, it actually is really cute how they kind of always kept that schoolboy friendship. Yeah. Like, they all had their own space, and they all respected each other, but at the same time, at the end of the day, they're like, well, if we're going to work York, together, we have to live near each other. New York is a big city, so, like, you can still be in the same city, but, like... Not live anywhere near each other. Oh, uh, you know yep. what I mean? Oh my God. When somebody lives in Queens and they're and they have a party and you're like, I'm sorry, I have to go to Queens. <laughs> Excuse me. What? Like when a friend of yours moves from Brooklyn or Manhattan to Queens, you're like, it was really nice knowing you. <laughs> I will never see you ever I'll again. Never see you again. Text but it was me really when nice. you move back. Right? Yeah. And if your friend moves to Staten Island, they oh, might as well have died. That's a black hole that you can never get out of. You can never go back. <laughs> Staten Island is like an unforgivable curse. Yeah. Like, if you move there, What's then... that black shadowy place? Yeah. That's, Staten That's Staten Island. Island. You must so... never go there. Yeah, basically. Honestly, there's nothing in Staten... They have one really good pizza place. And they have a roller in the rink. the whole island. Well, I only had the one. 
But it was one. good. And they had a roller skating rink that's next to a Sonic. I mean, I've I've known plenty of good people that have come from Staten Island. Yes, and I know plenty but, of good people who live in Staten Island. Yeah, but they never go back. You never go back. Once you go Staten Island, you don't ever come back? Once you leave Staten Island, you don't ever come back. Right? I don't know. Either way, get out of Staten Island. Get the fuck out. Pork chop sandwiches. Seriously. As for the G-Sun studio, they held on to that for a little longer, but it was eventually sold in 2006. And just to like kind of close this whole thing up too, if you're wondering about Grand Royal, mm-hmm. yeah, they went out of business due to debts just mounting up. Really? Yeah, in the early 2000s, How? they had to liquidate. That they seemed super... They didn't have a clear direction with it. They ended up kind of just not, I think, financing it well. Is that why Luscious Jackson kind of didn't get to go anywhere beyond 2000? I think also Luscious Jackson might have run their course. I'm no. not saying that they're not a good band, but they're a, they're a quintessential 90s band. They just came out with an album a few years ago. Right. So it's they're still good. doing stuff. And it's I'm good. not saying they're not good, but you know. Nineties were a weird decade, man. They were. It's like the music if you in the 90s if you weird. made it in the nineties, once two thousand hit, once once you got that Y two K in your face. Honestly, the two thousands fucked things up for a lot of they people. Did. I'm gonna chalk up Luscious Jackson's non popularity as Y two K bullshit. I'm going to chalk it up as the world wasn't what world wasn't world waiting wasn't for wedding. Luscious Jackson. You won't believe what you happens. You won't next. believe what happens to Luscious Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I I certainly didn't. Oh, they didn't do anything. That's what happened. That's pretty. I I don't believe that. <laughs> well, back to the Beastie Boys. They did begin to record a little bit of Hello Nasty out in L.A., but when they got back to New York City, they didn't have their own studio, so they had to rotate around a handful of studios to get the job done. They were lucky to have a friend in Sean Lennon, who was also on the Grand Royal oh, label. Oh, where's Rick Rubin when you fucking need him? Jerking off with Jay-Z. That's I what mean, he's doing. Probably. 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 <laughs> right. But Sean Lennon had access to his father's studio in Soho. And I mean, in case you're just tuning into the world of music right now, uh, his father's John Lennon. So, uh, yeah, like, pretty big deal to record in the Legends studio like that. And also, around this time, didn't Sean Lennon himself have a pretty big hit? Yeah, he, he was doing pretty well for himself at yeah. this point. I think and he then, was more of an underground indie kind of guy, but... But I definitely remember seeing his video on MTV a lot. Mm, and yeah. he released an, a solo album, and he had at least one really big hit off of it. Right. So he was doing some good stuff for himself, too. But then he, like, completely dropped off the planet after that. Maybe it's after Grand Royale dissolved. (laughs) Maybe. Oh, my God. It's the Y2K bug. It is. It's just wiping people out, man. Yeah. I think he ended up just going kind of underground and, like, doing things quietly. Which is fine. Which is perfect. Well, now he's working with Les Claypool, so. There you go. Go He's doing shit right, so. Yeah, they're clearly, clearly he's doing something right. They added a new recruit to the team with Mixmaster Mike, who brought with him flawless scratching ability and bombastic beats that brought seamless experimentation to the Beastie Boys. So now there's four members, two Adams, two Mikes. Well, I wouldn't say Mixmaster Mike was like a member member. I think he was more of a collaboration type member. But he did play also live DJ. shows with him. Yeah. With them. 
Yeah, they've had they had a lot of DJs. I actually feel bad. I'm not trying to do a disservice by not bringing in all of their DJs, but, but I they do did re- have a good chunk of really good DJs. Yeah. One of them, coincidentally enough, named Dr. Dre. Huh. But not the not Dr. That, Dre. Not that Dr. Dr. Dre. But there was also DJ Hurricane. He was quite talented and toured yeah. with them extensively for a long time. But I remember them kind of hyping up their collaboration with DJ Mike. Mix Master Mike. Mix Master Mike. Mix Master Mike. What you gotta say? That's my um, scratching skills with my mouth. (laughs) My mouth scratch skills. We can call you DJ Cat Tongue. (laughs) Cause I got them sweet mouth scratching skills. There you go. Nope. Nope. I'm still DJ Shouty Mouth. Forever and always. Each of the boys took turns jumping into the studio to work on stuff, either as a group or on their own. They would build off each other's parts and bring changes to a song for the group to work on. Needless to say, all of these moves were in the right direction. Hello Nasty is another masterpiece of an album. Once again, broadening their sound to make something that is offbeat in the most delightful way. There are 22 tracks, each with a different vibe from the last. Yup. And with hit singles like Intergalactic and Body Movin', Uh especially that Fatboy Slim remix. Body Movin', Body Body Movin'. That one? Yeah, Yeah, I remember that that one. one. That's a good song. (laughs) They had made themselves a comfy little spot in the world of pop music for even more genre crossing. Mm -hmm. Intergalactic has a surprising amount of classical music sampling in it. Considering it's a poppy hip-hop song, especially. Mm-hmm. It samples A Night on Bald Mountain in the music video, and it contains a rendition of Prelude in C-sharp minor during the verses. Which is a bit of a contrast from the amazingly silly music video they created for it. Yep. A parody on Japanese Super Sentai shows, and if you don't know what that is, it's just Power Rangers. Yes. <laughs> as well as kaiju films, which are just giant monster films. If which you don't know is which was about in Jap- Japanese culture. Go fucking. Which learn was yourself. basically also in Power Rangers. Yeah, so it's all just basically like a delightful Power Rangers trivia. Yeah, it features the Beasties dancing around a train station in Japan in construction worker outfits, while a giant mech fights a giant octopus monster. And it was directed by MCA under his alter ego Nathaniel Hornblower, <laughs> who was the one who rushed the stage for Michael Stipe. <laughs> Oh, okay. This all makes sense now. Yep. So he does. A I lot remember of this. And yes. And to give a hot second, to give MCA her his due, like he was really getting into filmmaking, and he was yes. doing a really good job with it. He actually ended up directing a lot of their music videos and doing mm-hmm. a lot of documentaries and opening up his own studio. He was incredibly talented with film. Mm-hmm. If you're old enough to remember the late '90s. Then you remember the Beastie Boys blowing up at this time. Mm-hmm. They were getting heavy airplay and they were finally getting their due from the big wigs at MTV and the Grammys. Not that that's any real test for talent. I'm just saying, finally, people were saying... Yeah, Grammys mean nothing. I but mean, none of that shit means still. anything. But it's good that people recognize. In 1999, they won Grammys for both Best Alternative Music Album and Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group. The first time a group has ever managed the feat of winning awards in two different genres. Huh. Because one's rock and one's rap. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned in the last episode that the Beastie Boys would become well-known for their causes and using their platform to raise awareness for social issues that are normally swept under the rug. 
1998, they were awarded the MTV Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award for making such kick-ass music videos. MCA used this as an opportunity to speak out against the government for its unnecessary force against Middle Eastern countries and asking people to stop it with the racist anti-Muslim rhetoric. And this was... Rhetoric. I knew I was going to say rhetoric. (laughs) And uh, this was... 2000 and what? Oh no, that was 1998. Yeah. 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 That he was, was um It was amazing to watch 21 this 21 years ago? Fuck. 21 years ago. Oh, I just threw up in my mouth. 21 years ago, a Beastie Boy was on stage saying A Beastie Boy. A Beastie Boy was saying, "Hey, stop being racist assholes because I'm seeing a lot of it." Hey, Guess also what? America, stop bombing places. Guess, We're gonna like you should watch this speech actually because he even says if we keep bombing these countries we're gonna end up with terrorists who are blaming us for their miserable conditions because we're making them. Guess who was right? MCA was right. Guess who oh was right god. about everything? Oh my god, we should make sure to just say MCA was right. He was right. He was. Though. This would not be a was, lie, dude. I wanted to throw my phone. It was so infuriatingly accurate. Yeah, like everything he said came to pass, mm-hmm. and I was just like. Why didn't we listen to MCA? Dude's a fucking wizard. Dude's a fucking wizard. We didn't deserve him. That's what happened is we didn't deserve him. And then he was just like, peace. I'm out. I'm out. You guys aren't going to listen to me? You listen to me? I'm out. God, thank you. know, honestly, it's a good thing he's, better not around for, he's better off not being you're around. Right off. Oh, my God. Sweet baby angel. You're better off. He was sent here. He really was a wizard. He really just was. like Gandalf. He was Gandalf was sent to Middle Earth to combat evil Adam Yauk was sent to Earth. So Adam Yauk is G- Gandalf. He's Gandalf. He's motherfucking Gandalf. Yeah. He's fighting the Balrog. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. Get now it? Now I'm trying to figure out like, what Mike D and Adam or er, Ad Rock were. One of them's got to be Radagast. Which one's Radagast? Mike D. Yeah. Yeah. He's Radagast. Yeah, I can see that. And then Ad Rock. Sauron? No. Before he went evil? No. Because even before he went evil, Saruman. Eh, not great? Not the greatest. Fine. Galadriel. Yeah. she's. <laughs> I mean, she's not a wizard, but Elrond. Oh, Elrond. Elrond. There we go. Perfect. Control freak. There you go. There you go. All right. Let's do it. We nailed it. Why is it every <laughs> we episode always have to, we have <laughs> to cast, cast Lord the musicians the as Lord of the Rings character? Every single episode. You know what? It's our thing now. This is our thing now. It's our thing now. Welcome to Rock Candy, where we are going to cast these musicians as characters in Lord of the Rings. That's You're what welcome. We do. That's what you we didn't do. know you needed this, but now you know. Now you know. You didn't know, but now you know. Well, all right. But MCA wasn't the only one who would okay. use moments of speech to you know get a vocalize yeah to vocalize a cause that you could get behind mm-hmm. at the 1999 MTV Music Awards the 199 yeah yeah 19 <laughs> 1999 there's a lot of nines i'm just going to condense them <laughs> the nine the the several nine MTV <laughs> Music Video Awards there's more than one there are several adra <laughs> <laughs> That's not how it works, but okay. 1999 MTV Music Video Awards. You're welcome. Thank you. Ad Rock spoke up about the alarming number of rapes and assaults on women at Woodstock 99. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. He urged his fellow musicians to take a stand and help prevent these actions from happening, to pay more attention to security at shows, and to ensure women's safety. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think that they would always stand behind this cause and always really believe it. But at the time, he was seriously dating Kathleen, Kathleen Hannah. Hannah of Bikini Kill and La Tigra. So yeah. I think she kind of helped to open his eyes to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but I also think that he I'm, they would have already felt that, that way. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know if he would have spoken out, but I mean, you know, behind every great man is it's a great badass woman. bitch. Exactly. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, so you have these guys who everybody thought were just goofs, right? Yeah. Coming out, being the only, some of the few, very few musicians to come out and say like, guys, but seriously, like, can we stop raping women? Also, can we stop bombing other countries? Also, like these serious topics. I think that made a lot of people just stop and be like, oh, they're being serious. Oh my God. During the speeches, they'll like cheer me like, woo woo. And they're like, let me get this out. Like, like no, this, shut no, the fuck this up. Is a, this is a real <laughs> thing, guys. I'm not just saying this is like a, a joke or yeah. to be funny. No, it's real. But, uh, yeah, so fucking props to them Beastie Boys. And it proves that they're not just, like, party boy rejects. No. You know? Which is kind of the attitude they came out with with um, Licensed Ill. Right. They've really done a one... At this point, full 180. 180, yeah. But uh, before we continue, I need to full 180 my drink from being (laughs) empty to being full. How'd you like that for a segue, (laughs) motherfucker? We'll be right back. And we're back. Hello. Yes. Hello. Hope you all refilled your beverages as well. Because that's what we do here. Got to stay drunk. Got to stay hydrated, guys. Yeah. Meh. So, let's go to the year 2000. <laughs> In the year 2000. <laughs> oh, my God. How many of you actually get that reference? I don't know how old our audience is. I think most of them are on our age, so you will get that reference. Yeah. Or, God, I hope you do. God, I hope at least some of you used to watch Conan. Ugh. If you're not, get on it. He's hilarious. Fucking YouTube it. It's great. It's so good. The boys were lined up to do a tour with Rage Against the Machine, but that was never to be after Mike D broke his collarbone in a bicycle accident. <laughs> he hit a po- <laughs> Dude, I laughed too. No, no. Dude, I heard, like, I laughed a lot too. And then I read it. He hit a pothole and went, like, kind of like head face first. Ass over tea kettle is what they could say. That's a technical term. But he didn't land ass first. He landed, like, head first. Collarbone first. And he got up and his collarbone was all dislocated. He's like, I'm fine. I'm just going to lay here. Yeah. Just going to walk it off. Yeah. Just walk it off. So after, once I read that, I was like, never mind. It's not funny. It's not funny. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. Well, it turned into an unexpected year off. So they could. An entire year? I know, which is a lot for them because while they do take their time, they are usually at least always at work on something or touring. So this was their one year to kind of be dads and be husbands and do mundane bullshit life things. But finally, collarbones were healed and patience was worn thin. So it was back into the studio to work on the next album. MCA came in saying he wanted an all rap record. Ad-Rock and Mike D pushed back a little at first, but eventually caved in because they figured, well, why not? He knows what he's talking about. Like, all right, all right, fine, we'll just do it. No reason not to. They needed to be able to get back into the groove of working when the inspiration hit. So they built themselves a nice new studio space in New York City, right on Canal Street, 
the big window to give them a beautiful view of Lower Manhattan. Hmm. And then Uh 9-11 happened. Oh, boy. Yeah. 9-11 always happens. (laughs) I feel like in every- Y2K fucking ruined everything. Every Y2K curse. Like I mean, like I'm saying, Y2K and like the 2000s are the worst. Yeah, they pr- they pretty much were. Yeah, yeah, not great. If there's something that's gonna take the wind out of your sails, it's a tragedy, especially because of the studio's location within view of Ground Zero. It was hard. Yeah, for that's the- really close. Yeah, like they had to deal daily with just like I mean, they couldn't go in for a while, and then they had to deal with all the security and mm-hmm. just every. I mean, I can't even imagine the fucking pandemonium they had to deal with. It's crazy. Yeah. It was hard for the BC Boys to go into work and write the same silly non-sequitur lines that they were so accustomed to. It should surprise no one that the BC Boys weren't big fans of the Bush administration, and they staunchly opposed the Iraq war. They this wrote is a- not surprising. No, no in you know what's not surprising? This. this. <laughs> not surprised. Not surprising. From a man who three years before was like, can we stop bombing the Middle Eastern country? Cool, we're going to just go stop to Stop being racist towards Middle Eastern people. No? Yeah. Okay. No? Oh, cool. Okay. This is fine. They actually wrote a protest song called In a World Gone Mad that they distributed on several websites as a free MP3. And real quick, the Beastie Boys were pretty early to the online music distribution game. I was going to say, this is, this is early. This well, is 2001, like... I think, was when everybody else was kind of picking up on it. But, but as early as 1998, they were releasing their music via mp3 download on their website this was like when people still had like fucking angel fire websites and geocities and like flashing pictures of all random randomly placed pictures of all the bc boys with flashing things around them (laughs) i miss those websites right those were the best i want they were the worst i want crudely hodgepodge self-made websites oh i had just like five fan of them. sites that just have text in all the wrong places yep and just text in all the wrong, <laughs> all the wrong places that's a sweet just... rap song Yo, she got texts in, in all, all the wrong, wrong places, places. <laughs> that's a good diss track it's <laughs> a good diss track i love it oh well the beastie boys were one of the pioneers on the side of digital music they saw where the future of that business was going, so props to you boys, mm-hmm. for sure. Things all around them seemed bleak, though, and so they decided to take their frustrations out through their next album. The result is called To the Five Burrows, a bit of a love letter to New York and a chance to bring their anti-racist, sexist, homophobic messages to the music. Nice. A lot of this is a... This is a serious album. Like the this is like all you people matter. that do all this shitty bullshit. Get yeah. the fuck out of here. Pretty much. That's the album. It was well received, with many seeing the Beastie Boys maturing in sound and context, taking off the excessive flash from Hello Nasty and making it a more straightforward collection of songs. It was appreciated as a re-examination of hip-hop and the fact that they took on such relevant issues. However, if you read the book... Ad-Rock states he thinks it could have been a better album had they not restricted themselves to just rap. He thinks some of the songs would have done better in that punk rock genre considering how angry they got. And I mean, I'll give him this. There's something to be said for capping your creativity with rigid rules. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the album's great. And he does appreciate it and he thinks it's a great album, but he just kind of wonders, like, what else could have we done with that? Yeah. But it is what it is. I think Mm -hmm. it's a good album. 
Honestly, I'm sure there's also an element of melancholy that goes along with it. This was a pretty fucking terrible time for America, especially those in New York City having to face that devastation daily. Right. And the repercussions of it. Yeah. I mean, that didn't just go away overnight. This, I mean, I was, I lived considering... in the city when the, when, uh, when the, the memorial went up and that was, it's still, it was still fresh. And considering who was president at the time and Oof. everything that happened afterwards, you couldn't get away from it. On top of that, they decided to stop working with Mario C., not because of anything he did, but because they wanted to start self-producing. They just wanted that element in their music. I'm honestly surprised they didn't do that beforehand. Yeah, I think they just really enjoyed the collaborations they had and didn't feel a need to change. I mean, something is to be said about allowing an outside perspective mm-hmm. on all of your work up until this point. How long have they been doing this now? Like 15, 20 years? Almost 20, yeah. Yeah. So, just about 20, I guess. Well... They were certainly on a learning curve. (laughs) Mistakes were made and time was wasted with them teaching themselves to use the tools. Wow. There's a lot of frustration I'm genuinely surprised that they didn't already know all this already. Again, I think it's just when you have a good collaboration, you don't think about changing it. Right. But they are are very ambitious men who are like, you know, I want to try this. And they're at a point where they can afford to make mistakes. Exactly. And they did, but you know what? They got it done, Mm -hmm. and it got praised. It peaked at number one on the Billboard charts. Oh, wow. It is a solid and genuine album, and it really should be commended for tackling such serious topics. And what album is this? To the Five Burrows. Okay. And that's not to say it didn't come with some controversy, but not in the way you might think it came. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, many claimed that the CD had spyware installed on it. What? Yeah, rumors started (gasps) on a message board. Well, rumors were starting saying that when the CD was inserted into the CD-ROM of a computer, it released a program to monitor the user's computer habits, which, can we just talk about But how that's just... That's just that's par just, for the course well, now. now it is. Now it but is. But in 2001, or I think 2005 when it came out, it wasn't par for the course. Right. Isn't that weird? That's... Oh, it's so little time. So little time. Now we're like, yep, these target ads, I mean... I'm right next to my damn phone, and you know that here's everything I'm saying. I it's mean, gonna be like, do you want to do more with the Beastie Boys? 2005, 2006, people were still buying CDs. 2005, 2006, I still didn't like having a camera on my phone. Yeah, that was weird. Right? I still had a flip phone. Same. Well, I, I by 2008, I had a razor. Oh, I had a razor, too. <laughs> also, I accidentally dropped it in the toilet, dried that shit out. That motherfucker still worked for another, like, three years. Yeah, those things are... They were tough. indestructible. Do you remember when phones were tough? Remember? Remember when? Remember when? I remember. <laughs> I remember. EMI, the company that distributed the album, denied any accusations, but did say that outside of the US and the UK, they do put protection software on the CDs. So throughout Europe, they do. Okay. But it's merely to stop the buyer from copying the album. Understandable. Right? It's just more like copyright protections, but you couldn't do it in the US and the UK. Thanks, Lars. So they had placated MCA's need for all rap in 2004 with the five boroughs. But now they were all itching to get back to their instruments, to jam together like they had done 10 years ago. And when they decided to go back to instruments, they went back to instruments solely. Hmm. The next album was called The Mix-Up. It's a purely instrumental album. It's a mashup of hip-hop, jazz, rock, and anything in between. Mike D referred to it as a post-punk instrumental, which is 
pretty accurate of a description. I vaguely remember this coming out and people being being very confused. And I could see that. It's like they didn't hate it, but they were like, but there's no rapping. Right. What what I do? What do I do with it? Right. Some might think going in this starkly different direction would have hurt the band, but actually they were praised for the originality. Many critics could see the Beasties' love for music really come through on this album, and fans probably appreciated that they were given fair warning at how different this album was going to sound. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's a really fucking solid album. Mm-hmm. I've listened to it two or three times now, and I'm like, this is good. Yeah. Like, they, it's really amazing to listen to it because... All these years and all these times, you look at the Beastie Boys and you're like, there's this fun little rap group. And then you come out with the Five Burrows and you're like, they're a fun rap group, but they have things they believe in. And then they come out with the mix-up and you're like, no, these guys are musicians. These guys are legit. They know how to play. They care about it. They love it. They take care of it. Well, I kind of feel like that probably got a little bit lost between when they were in a hardcore scene and when they became the BC Boys, exactly. capital TBB. <laughs> um, so I I don't think that people really realize that they know how that they knew how, how to, to play, play instruments, instruments and well, that they, and they actually even, did make their own music. They would even argue like they knew how to play instruments, but it was self taught and a bit crude. By the time they got to the mix up, it's like no boys understood theory. Boys yeah. understood how to put this together. Yeah, and make it sound good. They can make jam. something with a beat, and you could dance to it. True, though. That album you could dance to, 100%. One of the funnest parts is that they decided if they were going to play the part, they were going to look the part. They all dressed in clothes from the years 1956 to 1964. That kind of madman look. I do remember this, yes. Yep, blazers, sharkskin suits, ties, the whole nine yards. MCA even played stand-up bass on some of the tracks. Did. Which, God, I want to learn stand-up bass, but I got to master regular bass first. When they went on tour from the mix-up, they called it the gala event and insisted attendees dress for the occasion, Ooh. saying anyone in Tevas and cargo shorts would be Tevas turned away. Tevas and cargo shorts? Because I think that's what people normally <laughs> just like at Beastie Boys shows. Oh, remember Tevas? I do remember Tevas do you very remember boys much. wearing Tevas and white yes. socks? Oh. Yeah. Hey, I can't say anything. My boyfriend wears cargo shorts and Birkenstocks. So. You know what? Still better than Tavis and, and white socks. And as much as I try to get him to change, he won't. I'm going to let him have his freak flag fly. Are you not merciful? Am I not for- merciful? <laughs> I am Commodus to a ridiculous degree. <laughs> well, obviously... They didn't mean it when they said you can't come in. They didn't mean it when <laughs> they said you can't here. sit with us. You can't sit with us. As many wouldn't adhere to the dress code. But many others did show up in the in their evening wear best, much to the pleasure of the dapper Beastie Boys. Mm. Mm. And probably one of the most validating things about this album, but it doesn't have to be because, again, what the fuck do award shows know? But they did win a Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental Album. At this point, they have crossed so, I was three just gonna, fucking I was just genres say. with their awards. So it's rap, it's rock, rock and it's pop and it's instrumental. Pop. Crazy. Yeah. That's great. One Good of them. I, I'm sure there's got to be other artists that have done it. But at this I point, mean, I'm like... That is either a, a testament, testament. Yes. A testament to Beastie Boys 
diversity or it just shows that the Grammys do not know what the fuck music is. I can't figure what's the music. I don't know. (laughs) Who's on first? (laughs) Abbott and Costello, their music, right? For however many years the Grammys have been on now, it's just been a constant game of who's on first. Honestly. That's, That's all the Grammys is. You ain't wrong, girl. Usually the answer is Miley Cyrus. I think usually the answer is Taylor Swift, isn't it? In Taylor, Taylor Swift, yes. Yeah. That's why I don't watch Scrammies anymore. <laughs> Feeling creatively hot from the mix-up, they began teasing their new album as early as 2009, claiming that they were going in another new direction, unsurprisingly. Oh, well, you just want to keep fucking going in new directions? Oh, just keep you just want to conquer everything? Jerk me off, whatever. But like, Fine. also, like, do it. <laughs> do it. But seriously, I want to see what else you're going to do. <laughs> they had plans to release a two-part album called Hot Sauce Committee. With- <laughs> That's a really good thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is what two beers will do to your kids. Yeah. Two eight percenters, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's going to be playing and sampling in ways that they hadn't done before. They had already created singles with both Santa Gold called Don't Play No Game I Can't Win, which is a fucking phenomenal Santa song. Gold is great. Oh, God. Love but it's such a good song. And also another with Nas called Too Many Rappers. Also phenomenal. <laughs> that sounds I mean, great. That's four rappers. Too many rappers. <laughs> too many rappers. The latter was performed at Bonnaroo. And earlier in the day, they had actually spent a good chunk of it um, creating the music video for that song. Oh. They were walking around a supermarket and were like, we're just going to film us like lip syncing around the supermarket song. <laughs> All and right. at first they were nervous, like, can Nas, is Nas going to roll with us? And Nas like, nah, I can roll with you guys. And they're like, great. Cool. So Nas can roll. In June 09, they were still teasing the album, saying that part two was done, but they still needed to finish part one. They had a clear vision of which, which songs would go on which album. They wanted to release part one as a CD and do something a little different with part two, but they really weren't 100% sure yet. They Mm -hmm. were really teasing a lot of things, but they also didn't seem like they had a clear direction in which they were going. Right. So while fans were excited, they were a little like, what's going on here? Yeah. Like, what what, what are we we doing? What exactly am I looking at here? That July turned everything on its head, however, when MCA announced to the public that he had been diagnosed with a cancerous salivary gland and lymph node. And this was going to delay the release of their upcoming album and any tour dates as he was set for surgery and radiation. I will say that performance at Bonnaroo was their last performance ever live. And that was 2009. That means it progressed pretty quickly? Yes and no? Or... Well, uh... I'll get to that. Despite this news, doctors did seem optimistic that this cancer would be very treatable And on the orders of those doctors, the Beastie Boys took things easy and still worked on their album, but didn't go too hard. Didn't Mm -hmm. tour anymore. Didn't go, you know, playing every day. Yeah, they just were like, we'll get this done as we get this done. Okay. I mean, his cancer seemed super treatable. He's young. You know, it wasn't super advanced. Mm -hmm. All right. By 2010, Hot Sauce Committee Part 1 had been shelved indefinitely, but Part 2 was set for release in the spring of 2011. That's kind of weird. And while this is confusing enough, yeah. they sent out an email stating that the tracks that they were meant for part one would now be on part two. So they would just put two of them together and release them as one big, long album? Look, I can't really 
understand or say why they didn't just release part one or like why they wouldn't just call it hot sauce committee why it had to be in parts but odds are it just comes down to beastie's gonna beastie they do what they want they're just gonna do what feels right for them i think it was just funny to them to be like you know what we're only gonna put out one album but let's call it hot sauce hot sauce committee part two (laughs) that would be funny right in the book, Ad-Rock does mention something about losing the hard drive on a boxcar in Montana that apparently had part one on it. But oh, I'm always have bet- a backup, baby. Well, but I'm willing to bet this might be some kind of joke. Or is it? Honestly, their sense of humor is really hard to tell the difference. Like, I... They play jokes like this all the time. But I refuse to believe they only had the only copy of it on a hard drive that they happened to lose but maybe on a they truck did. in Montana. But also, maybe they did. But they, that's what I mean. But also, it sounds totally plausible. So it's, it's, That's what I mean. Like, we'll never really know the yeah. truth, I think. And, like, good for them for having fun, like, just kind of mythos like that. Yeah, I Keep like it. Mystery. I like it's it. Fine. When the Beastie Boys claimed they would be sampling in a way they hadn't done before, they meant they were going to sample without actually sampling. In short, um, they created their own samples and made fake bands, fake albums, uh, fake labels for the liner notes. Oh fucking God. They basically wanted to make like a, a record collector's nightmare. I mean, this makes sense for... The why Beastie it took Boys. so fucking long. Why? Because they're not just creating their own music. They're creating the music that they are going to sample yep. in Dude, their music. This shit runs deep. This is meta beastie. This is meta beyond meta. Yeah. Some of their methods to make these sounds to make these sounds legit. Samples included Mike D playing half bars for like this chopped up feel. Um, adding an echo and reverb from stringed instruments, or even sounds of old records popping. These are the most legit fake samples you've ever heard. They wanted it to sound like they took these old records from the 70s and 80s and they took samples from actual vinyl. That's ridiculous. And amazing. Like, the dedication to your fucking craft. The goddamn layers on this shit. It's... The biggest onion I've ever seen oh in my, my fucking life. God. And props to them. It's one thing to come up with a concept and put it through. It's another thing to like dedicate yourself to every aspect of this concept and put it out there. This is like making a concept album, but the concept is based on your own brain. Yes. On your own brand? On your own brand, your own brain, your own music. It's the concept album... It's just meta. Yeah. The concept's meta. It's Beast- crazy. It's Beception. 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 100%. They brought in Philip Zedar to help produce because MCA and his daughter at that time were really into Phoenix and he had mixed their album Listomania. Oh, like the band Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, I like them. I like them too. I always mix them up with Vampire Weekend because they sound similar, but Phoenix is better than Vampire Weekend. I mean, I like them both. Nah, Phoenix is better than Vampire Weekend. Leading up to the album's release, they leaked a couple songs in order to promote their newest work. Quote, unquote. Right. Leaked. They put the album out on SoundCloud a few days before its actual release on April 27th, 2011. SoundCloud was around back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was pretty, it was was newer, but it was definitely around. I remember it. Wow. Mm. I... I am not up with the new technologies. 
When the waiting was finally over, Hot Sauce Committee Part 2 came out to critical acclaim, many praising it for managing to strike an old school feel while keeping it fresh by avoiding cliches. Mm-hmm. It was a, it's a great album. I mean... I love this album. You kind of... I feel like it's kind of easy to avoid cliches when everything you're referencing is your own shit that is made currently. Right? I This is way too much for my little brain to process. <laughs> I'm still wrapping my brain around the meta that is this yeah, album. Yeah, meta beastie. It's like, I just remember when I got this album when it came out, and I was like, this is just a really good album. Ooh. And now that I've done all this research, I'm like, my God, I need to listen to this five more times. <laughs> Ridiculous. Just to dissect the layers of beastie Honestly. voice that is in it. Because it all sounds like legit samples. It yeah. really does. Yeah. And the fact that it isn't is mind-blowing. In April 2012, the Beastie Boys were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, they were? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Like, I, I did think not know the that. minute they could be, they were. Maybe yeah. not the minute they could be. I feel like they, as soon as they were up for the honor, yep. everybody in this world fucking voted for them. Yeah. I'm sure. Should have been. And then they yeah. fucking earned it. Especially considering... Um, MCA was diagnosed with cancer. Everyone was probably like, mm, but get him in there. Mm, get him in, get there. Him in there. Get him in there. Yeah, they were inducted. They were even inducted by their protégés, Chuck D and LL Cool J. So it was just like this Aww. nice, like full circle thing. That's nice. However, the night was left a little bleak as MCA was not able to make it, having been admitted to the hospital earlier that day. I vaguely remember that happening. Yeah. Like it was kind of, it was a thing. The news was like, what's happening? He yeah. wasn't there. What was happening? Not even a month later, on May 4th, 2012, Adam Yauch, also known as MCA, passed away from cancer. He was only 47 years old. Yeah, he was really young. He was so fucking young. Initially, when the news broke, Mike D and Ad-Rock were understandably not too firm on the future of the band. I mean, why are people even asking? Also, fuck off for asking. Honestly, fuck off for asking. But by 2014, they stated, unequivocally... That the Beastie Boys were now done for good. They were a trio through and through. And to continue without MCA was just out of the question. The Beastie Boys would have never existed without all three members. But MCA, he was the catalyst of the group. He was the one who wasn't afraid to try the crazy ideas they'd come up with. He never sat and wondered. He was the one to push the envelope and see where it would take them. He was the technological, you know, super... Wizard. Superman, wizard. Honestly, he really was. And he was so kind and gentle. He was so into the Buddhist ways of nonviolence. He was so ahead of the times and I guess for lack of better terms, woke on social issues. Mm -hmm. And he was so talented, not even just music, but like with film. Yeah, he was just a force to be fucking reckoned with. Yeah. And that's a a big personality to lose. Yeah. Even when there's three people in a group who all yeah. have their own distinct personalities, that's that's a big blow. Yeah, yeah. And how are you supposed to go on when a major component of your group is gone? And they knew that. Right. Mike D and Adrock knew that. Yeah. It's kind of like when Peter Steele died. Like, the rest of the guys in Typo Negative were like, no. No. Typo Negative is, like... 85% Peter Steele right. and like 15% us. Like we get it. We we are not going to even attempt to try to continue as this band. There's no point. No, of course not. And I'm not saying Adam Yuck was 85% Beastie Boys. It was 
three ways split evenly. But like when even when it's split evenly like that, if you lose a third of your of your force, you can't you can't go on. No, you can't. And it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair to the person that's gone. And I don't think it would be fair to Mike D or Ad-Rock either right. to be expected to continue. Right. Because And to have the same sound, the same level of quality or like... Yeah. As great I... of musicians as they are, they can't make up for what they lost with MCA. And let's they can't. Just be honest. I think it's cruel to ask two people to have to continue something when yeah. they lost one of their best friends. Exactly. I don't think that's I, I fully 100% believe that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, going through their story, I'm coming out to say the Beastie Boys are an exemplary group of humans. Like, if there was a behind the music and they like, they want to be like, scandal, scandal, I don't, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I couldn't uh, discover much yeah. in the ways of a horrible scandal, a mistake that they couldn't recover from. Yeah, they made mistakes when they were younger, but these were mistakes that they quickly learned from. There was no gross infighting that made you wonder why they were even together in the first place. The only real tragedy in the story is its end. That they aren't together anymore because of the death of a member. If I were to end this tale by saying that they disbanded over creative differences, we'd be left with a sliver of hope. But that's the real gut punch at the end of this. Hope gets taken out of the picture when someone dies. We won't ever have the Beastie Boys again. It's over. I mean, we have Mike D. We have Ad-Rock. But we don't have the Beastie Boys. No. And I mean... You know, even though this chapter of their lives is over, both Mike Diamond and Adam Horowitz are still active in entertainment in some form. Whether it's radio or film, production, playing on other projects, even interior decorating. Because Mike D is super into interior decorating. That's adorable. Right? (laughs) But also they were just on an episode of uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And it was was hilariously awkward. Did you listen to it? No, I didn't. Oh, my God. It was hilariously awkward. I get the impression that they did not know what Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me was. Or that's just their humor. Sometimes you watch them in interviews and you're just like, I don't know if they're being serious or if this is who they are. No, they, they didn't really talk that much which is why i feel like they didn't really know what they were getting into you should watch they have an interview with charlie rose and even though charlie rose is a oh, piece of shit God. it's the most awkward thing in the world <laughs> but i feel like charlie something... rose doesn't know what he's talking about yeah and they're taking the oh piss i'm sure out of it i'm sure but like on way way don't tell me they know who the beastie boys are they know they read the book they yeah. And they were on there to promote their book. Oh. And they were asking them questions about the book. And, like, and, you know, they play, like, game show games yeah, on yeah. that, on the podcast or on the show. It's a hard were, game, actually. It kind of is a little bit, but it's really fucking oh, funny. Oh, it's really funny. And this was a perfect opportunity for their senses of, senses of humor to shine. And they were just like, what are we doing? <laughs> Do I don't? What is uh, going on right are you now? Asking me serious questions. Really? <laughs> it was really cute, and and there were some points when they were really funny. So it's worth a listen. Yeah, listen I to need it to, if, yeah, you yeah. Have, if you have a second. I remember you so. told me I do need to listen to that. Yeah, for for sure. And I mean, I, yeah, you know what? They've clearly dabbled in writing because mm-hmm. they wrote that book. Right. Again, pick it up. It's so good. Um, they're great writers, and they do a really good job of just bringing you into their world. Mm-hmm. But also, the book is really, like, I don't want to say a goodbye, but definitely a memorial for Adam Yauch, for them. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like their way of um, coming to terms 
with it? Maybe I. You know, or just when sticking they wrote a pin the book, in it. When they wrote the book, it had to have either been like 2017 or 2018 because it came out in 2018, mm-hmm. but like kind of the second half. Um, and that's only five, six years after Adam died. Yeah. You know, and I can't, it's, I think they're getting to the point now where it's like acceptance, which shit, five, six years, it's gonna be a while. Yeah. Um. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, like, I cried a bunch at the end of the book and it's sweet and endearing and yeah, it just gives a really good picture of who they are as people. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to come up with something poignant about this band. You know, just some kind of real good, strong note to end it on. But as I think we all know, words have never really been my strong suit. Uh, but I guess in closing, I'm just going to address a few things. Like, I can't walk away without saying, yes, of course, these guys had some privilege on their side. You know, but... They admit things were okay, even when they weren't okay. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a strong support system. They had family and friends and a middle-class background to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are living life right. They never took what they have for granted. And they've always given back to the community and always... And they grew into some choice philanthropists along the way. They may have had kind of a, a platform or a pedestal. Yeah. So born with a silver spoon in their mouth in a way. In a way. Um but, but they, they didn't act like it. They never took advantage of it. No. And they they it again for a lack of better term, they became woke individuals. Right. That didn't rely on their backgrounds to get them places. They worked so yeah. fucking hard. And they recognized that a lot of people didn't have the privileges that they did and actually use their privileges to give, I guess, a mouth to people that wouldn't necessarily have it. Exactly. Because who else fucking spoke out for the people of Tibet? Right. At that time, nobody nobody else talked about the rapes that happened at Woodstock. I mean, people did, but they (sighs) were only reporting on them factually. They weren't doing anything about it right they're like this is what happened and the beast was like knock it the fuck off and you know for what it's worth they brought rap and hip-hop into the homes of people who might not have given it a chance yeah they made white people think rap is safe to listen to and is it a little bit of a letdown that it had to be three white guys to do it yeah yeah i guess you could consider it that way but they've always paid homage to the ogs they never took themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. They always said, yeah, you like this? Go listen to this. Go listen to that. You read their book. They give you detailed places to go to listen to really good original rap and hip hop. Mm-hmm. They don't want it to end with them. They want people to keep digging and go find that good, pure shit. Mm-hmm. And that would that's, that's, the, that's just the mark of a true artist and a true fan. These are fans who became artists. Really. And yeah. I think that's the best kind of artist is someone who starts out as a fan and, and never stopped it. being a fan. Right. And then they're like, I want to do this, too, because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Beastie Boys were. They were like, I love this. And when somebody has a love for something, they are going to do a better job at displaying it. Yeah. I mean, look at somebody like Vanilla Ice. 
he was a white rapper and he was fucking terrible. He was really bad. He was a joke. <laughs> and um, he made himself into a joke. He did. And I mean, honestly, at that rate, all you can do is make yourself a joke or go away. And he when, wasn't going to go away, Because you know what? He took himself really fucking seriously. To this day, he takes himself really fucking seriously. Right. And will challenge other people to a point of, like, fist fighting with them. Because he takes himself so seriously. And exactly. he can't stand other people criticizing him. Whether it's outright criticism or constructive criticism. So. Exactly. Yeah, and the Beastie Boys... There's a very big difference there. Yeah, because the Beastie Boys, they didn't take themselves too seriously. They respect themselves, and they know what their limits are. they also respected the people that came before them, and the people that came with them, and the people that came after them. So Yeah, I think self-indulgence and respect are two entirely different things. And the Beastie Boys are definitely on that side of respect. I respect myself. Yes. So... And I'm not taking myself too seriously. Exactly. And they're important. They're so important. And they've crossed three fucking genres of music. Yeah. They went into all these different genres and grabbed people and said, come learn about rap. Come learn about rock. Come learn about pop. Just took everybody right under their arms, fucking half Nelson them. Yep. And come on, throttled guys. Throttled them into this world of BC boys. And said, let's have a fucking party. Let's party. I'm like, respect for that. Yeah. Hundred percent. And honestly, they might have acted like dumb frat boys on License to Ill, but I'll be damned if that's not a great party album. Oh, that's a great party album. So good. Brass Monkey. That Still chunky classic monkey. And standard. <laughs> classic and standard. Yes. And there you go, kids. That's the story on the Beastie Boys. Yay! That's what I got for you. It's probably all I ever have for you. Read the fucking book. Please read the <laughs> Just book. Just read the fucking book. Read the fucking book. I can't promote it enough. It was such a good read. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate you. We hope that you understand that we don't take ourselves too seriously either. <laughs> Clearly. Obviously. Oh my God. We're doing a podcast. Clearly we don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, if, we, and we drink during it. Clearly. Clearly. We don't give a shit. Yeah, you've plateaued. You're fine now. No, I'm fine. Yeah, you're fine. I was fine before, but... You're getting a little, you're getting a little I silly. Drank, I drank some water. It's fine. It's fine. That's why we bring the water in the room, too. Hot box, as I like to call it. Hydrate or dehydrate, assholes. Honestly. I mean, second summer, it's a real thing. It, in this room, it's a real thing it's right third now. summer in this room. But it's, it's uh, uh, Hell's Front Porch in this room. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. Thank you again for listening. If you are digging on what you're hearing, why don't you go visit our website at www.rockcandypodcast.com. We got way more episodes. We got links to our social medias. Go follow us on that because we got funny pictures and funny little things that we say. And, uh, you know, you can drop us, drop us an email if you have something to say. Maybe we missed something. Maybe we got something wrong. We are always willing to talk about it because we are not perfect. But we do. We do try. It. We're, we're doing the best we ever did. Exactly. And also, if you're digging us, go check out Pantheon Podcast Network, which is the network we are a part of. Rockandrollarchaeology.com. You are going to find so many ridiculously amazing music podcasts so yeah people got stories pretty much pretty much all of the podcasts that run the gamut of uh music history and just music in general yeah commentary history books movies i mean shit everything yeah comedy 
It's it's everywhere. All, all the there. things. Go, all the things. Go listen to it. It's and good. We're all so good there. And if you feel especially generous, you can go on over to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. You can give us some money. Money, please. <laughs> and you can get some sweet swag and access to our monthly bonus episode. Yes, which is coming out this week. So if you Indeed. want to listen to this month's bonus episode, why don't you go give us some money? Give us money. I mean, and please you can listen you. to listen to us talk even more about dumb shit and more drunkenly, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Last little bit. last month, whoa, a lot, too lot, much, lot too bit. much, too a fast, lot bit. too furious. This month, <laughs> only a little bit more, only a little bit. And thank you so much to everyone who does give. You guys really make a big difference to us. So, yes. and if you do want to give, know that you do make a big difference to us. If you want to be a philanthropist like the Beastie Boys. Give money to us, because it really does make a difference, and we love you for it. Yes. Yes, we do. Yay. Well, all right. So that's the end of this episode. That's it. But next week, we'll have more stark and daring tales, because it's the beginning. It's Spooptober! All them spoopy, scary, ooky, spooky stories. So excited. Oh, my God. So if you guys are pumped for October, ready for those stories... Tune in, because we're going to talk about a lot of musicians that make a lot of spoopy music. Indeed. So. Pretty heavy. Pretty awesome. And we're here for it. It's going to be great. Well, come on in next week. But until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Mm, Bye. Balls out, thank you. (laughs)